and I'm like in the third one, I'm like, I don't remember half of these things. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just so like you get that, but that's gamer side. But it's just so if you take the time and it, it can be excessive, it can get overwhelming. It's like when you play too much of a game. But when you start talking to like, each of your companions and even random people you just run into, like little, what are they called? NPCs, non-playable characters. When you just start talking to them, you can investigate what like their life is like. And then it spawns all these different conversation points. And I'm like, it just adds all this scale to the game to make it feel more alive. Yep. You know what I mean? And like all these different moving pieces. And I was thinking, I was like, this game is ahead of its time. Like what? <laughs> like how can you talk to all these different people and they have like family issues that you can talk bring up and then that can spawn a mission over here and it's I don't know it's really insane the level of thought I was like if I had to write this I don't I don't even know where to start Today on the podcast I'm joined by Jordan Chris longtime friend and guest on the podcast In many ways this conversation was really us catching up after not talking for a couple of weeks as always, it's a lot of fun for us to just dive into all the things that we're thinking about or interested in or just the going on in life. We start this conversation talking about video games and the difference between video game storytelling and, say, the storytelling in film. We cover the basis of some of our favorite story-driven games like Mass Effect. I also bring up the fact that I am currently working on a playthrough of Last of Us Part 2, which I'm actually streaming on YouTube. So if you go to the Feeding Curiosity page, I think there's four episodes at the time of this recording. So hopefully once um, we get that all done, which is taking me longer than I want to, we get into other ideas about storytelling and technology. For instance, we talk about Corridor Digital, which is a VFX YouTube channel, and I've been exploring all of their content and understanding how we use software and technology to create lifelike effects that aren't really there. I also talk of another computer-driven software uh, channel called Two Minute Papers, which used the video game GTA and AI image processing to create a lifelike version of the game. In all, so many cool things happening within the creative realms of being able to create more and more lifelike simulations another area of this we also talk about electronic vehicles a little bit and the future there so with that summarization i hope you enjoy this conversation with jordan chris and as always there will be show notes for you to find links to all of the things that i just mentioned here and timestamps for you to find those sections and what we thought about them so you can explore them yourself Welcome, Jordan Chris, back to the podcast after I don't even know. Months. It's been a couple of months because you were home last time you were on the show, and now things are have rapidly evolved. It's been a lot of fun. Nice. But what we were talking about before this, we were talking about storytelling and the difference between telling stories via like film and TV shows and video games. Because we were talking about I'm currently playing through The Last of Us so that we can, or Last of Us Part 2 specifically, so that we can have a discussion in a podcast deep dive for the first ever video game breakdown. And we were just elaborating on how storytelling in games is very different, but also can even be more interesting than t traditional story. Yeah, and it's funny because typically I don't feel like many people would 
think that this is a new thing for me. I wouldn't say that until these kind of last few years of these games coming out. And I guess you can say The Last of Us. Naughty Dog's a little different. They're exempt. <laughs> They've always been good at storytelling. But as a whole, it's usually not been the case. But now you think of it's interactive, right? So you are in the driver's seat. And that's something I feel like can, it just adds another layer to storytelling. Because like, it's not, you're just watching it unfold, but like, your decisions are making it unfold. So that's one aspect of it. It's just more immersive in that sense. But even on top of that, like the way these games now are coming out with all these new engines and what they're capable of, I don't know much about that. And you probably know more about that stuff <laughs> than I do. But in terms of what they're able to accomplish now, is like you're getting these games like Ghost of Tsushima and Last of Us and even Mass Effect. Like I've, I've been playing the remaster, yeah, the remaster and I'm like, this game is just insanely good storytelling you know what i mean and i'm like in all these different pathways and like how it connects through each there's a trilogy and that they connect like all your decisions from the first one lead up to the third one you'll meet characters from the first game and the third one that you haven't seen and i'm like yo this is some impressive shit outside of just <laughs> it being a fun game it's just really impressive it's thorough and it's like literally immersive to the point that like you have to think about what you're actually doing because it's going to alter what happens later. Yeah. You know what I mean, I think like, Oh, it's just, it's, I bet it has to feel weird too, for like mass effect, because we like played the first two of those games, roughly, I think as we were in high school. So we really didn't un like appreciate yeah. some of the story elements as much as we like, especially you would now, because you've really taken writing as like a, a craft. And so that you can look at it and be like, Oh my God, the amount of moving parts in this story is just insane and and figuring out how to connect the dots and then not even that it's like it's like the what mass effect did and oh my god i'm blanking on the studio that made mass effect bioware like they're known they're known for these like sprawling narratives and you can make relationships with all of your companions and you have all of these secondary stories that aren't even like in quotes as important as the main story but by being able to explore those sub narratives, it just adds that much more gr like gravitas to the whole story. It just makes you really appreciate how much is actually going right. on. It's crazy. The scale of it is just, it's hard to wrap my head around. Cause I was thinking, I was like, I was, I'm playing the third one now. I got to Mass Effect 3. I forgot the mission I was doing. I've been playing, man. It's because it was my, it's my favorite game by far. Okay. Like Last of Us is probably number two, but this like Mass Effect, I was like, yo, the storytelling in this, just all the decision-making you get and how it's cohesive to each one. It's not just like putting you in random spots. You know what I mean? It's not like what you do, you have consequences that aren't just this game 20 hours later, like <laughs> in the third <laughs> one. It's crazy, but I love it for that reason. And the replay value is just stupid. Like even now I'm like, oh, I remember this. And I'm like in the third one, I'm like, I don't remember half of these things. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just... So like you get that, but that's gamer side, but it's just so if you take the time and it, it can be excessive, it can get overwhelming. It's like when you play too much of a game, but when you start talking to like each of your companions and even random people, you just run into like little, what are they called? NPCs, non-playable characters. When you just start talking to them, you can investigate what like their life is like. And then it spawns all these different conversation points. And I'm like, it just adds all this scale to the game to make it feel more alive. Yep. You know what I mean? And like all these different moving pieces. And I was thinking, I was like, this game is ahead of its time. Like, what? <laughs> like, how can you talk to all these different people and they have like family issues that you can talk, bring up, and then that can spawn a mission over here. And it's, I don't know, it's really insane, the level of thought. I was like, if I had to write this, I don't, I don't even know where to start. Right. I don't even know how to do that. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, 
I think it makes it fun for me because it almost feels it's like Star Wars, but done in a video game. And I think that's what they are going for. I don't know if they've ever explicitly stated where the, the interest came from. I think it's probably broadly just the love of sci-fi, categorically speaking. And like the space opera is a genre. They can't deny it. <laughs> right, of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like they could try to deny it, but everyone's like, come on. Come on. And you're like, here, drink a couple shots and then tell me. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> you just can't. Like in the third one, the, they're making a weapon and the weapon looks like the Death Star. Like if they tried <laughs> to say there's no influence, I'd be like, you're lying. <laughs> it looks like the Death Like it literally looks just like it. <laughs> That's amazing. It's funny. But after like any like galactic space opera if you try to say that you didn't have influence from star wars i'm probably not gonna watch it because i'm like you're just lying and now i don't believe you <laughs> like, like yeah don't do that just, totally just true. own it just oh, own it actually yeah. in some backstory it's like the godfather oh my god you're right you're totally right because it just that put a whole genre on the map for scarface afterwards yeah. and whatnot those mobster movies like if you say you're not influenced by godfather and you're making a mobster movie it's on <laughs> yeah it's, and it's really interesting to me because and so in the back end on at least on video games what they can they do is they have what it's like a node system I, i'm not sure of like what the software is called off the top of my head but basically it's you have a dialogue option here so like you talk to the person and then you have a branch of all the you know options that your character can say to that person that then branches out to the next layer of things. So it starts out one and then it continues to cascade until all of a sudden you're all the way out. And then the bigger options where it's like the, the narrative changing options, those have dotted lines that push all the way out and then like circle back on themselves in some sense. And so it's yeah. just controlling all of that stuff and just understanding how they all work together is just the program management of that is just mind boggling. Yeah, man, I was, so I've always, so just a little context, I've always been interested in at some point would love to make a video game, write a, not the engineering, that's not that's right, I am not qualified to write a video game, I would absolutely love to have the chance to do that, and as I was playing this, I'm like, this, I don't think, so one, I don't think it's possible to do with just one person, I don't think that's even remotely possible, just the level of detail that has to go in, and immersive, and how much depth there is yeah because you have your main storyline right like you have the through line i feel like any game because there's other games like this this isn't the only one but like red dead redemption had a little bit of that and i mean there's countless others right cyberpunk a little bit probably the witches the level which is a good one that's actually a really good one and interesting that came from short stories so that's interesting but in the sense of where you probably have like your the writers probably have this is the intended story right if you do everything the right way there's like an intended story how it's supposed to happen but then it's but to make it more fun we can have if you want to be more of a bad guy but then you can be a bad guy but like with a good heart or you can be a good guy or like completely pure good guy or like a good guy who messes or a good guy or girl or whatever who messes up every now and then and it's, i just couldn't imagine writing all those things to then have to attach them. It's like a web. Then yeah. you have your center and then each thing sprawls out and then that sprawls out. Each point has, yeah. like you were explaining, like all these different <laughs> things that just burst. And, and I'm like, I couldn't possibly write that. And it's like, even if you think about it too, it's like, imagine as you're like a more traditional writer within typical storytelling arcs, 
in a video game that allows your the player action to affect the overall story but at the same point though you have the same like the different tiers of options just to put it in perspective right you have like good bad and then neutral as like your three core options but each of those decisions still have to drive your character forward in the story and still right. in some sense go to the same predetermined conclusion it just changes it a little bit and that's a whole other mind-bending option because when you're a writer, typically you think of like how, it, like how does this character act in the world? So it's like your character is a hero of the story, but if he's the bad guy of the story or doesn't care about collateral damage, yeah, <laughs> like you, it puts it you're like it's like almost like you'd have to have a separate team for every like moral framework. <laughs> to so that they could just live in that headspace and be like, okay, so if this is like how Shepard acted all the time in every one of these situations, what would be the options or how would that right. push the narrative forward? No, you're, that's, I think that's a good point. They probably do have departments where like, okay, you guys are going to write, uh, I think it's called Paragon and Renegade yes. are like the yeah. good and evil in, in terms of Mass Effect. So they probably have a Paragon team who said, you guys write this threat, like these threats. And then a Renegade team, like you write these threats and then an, an overseer, I would imagine, it might have been completely different, but I would imagine then there is an overseer who made sure it all remained cohesive. Because yeah. it's like, you can be a, an asshole in the first <laughs> game and then change your ways. Oh, I learned my lesson. And so you still, it still has to make sense. It still has to be cohesive. And that's the part that's, I just, it's almost unfathomable, but it's so impressive, especially because the game came out in 2007. Like, that's 2007, right? Yeah, the first game, I think, was 2007. Yeah, some around that time, like That's pre so 2010. That's so right? insane. It's crazy, but the level of details, and you have to have a foresight to know, okay, this is where we want to go with this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because you can't, I don't think this is one of those things that you can figure it out as you go. You had to know where you're ending, but then you had to know, but there's like six possible ways to end this and then we have to <laughs> line up those six possible right? endings <laughs> you know it's just dude i don't know i mean the perfect splintering from like in comparison or like the closest thing we have in comparison to this in film is the marvel films for over the yep. last 10 years where you finally get to i don't know if i don't know if you saw it this way but i for sure didn't see it coming where that every marvel film like as after the first Iron Man was like putting building blocks in place to foreshadow the next films. And then all of a sudden you finally see the culmination of that with Endgame, where they go back in time and you see all of the different films and different perspectives. And you're like, Oh Jesus Christ. Like I really like, if I ever got a chance to go to Marvel and be like, did you guys have like a secret mastermind board of like how every film connects to the other ones in some way? Cause there's so many Easter eggs of showing you the different characters without being explicit. Like you have to pay attention or unless you were either a super nerd about it or you watch it the second time and you're like, Oh my God, that little detail right there is for, you know, an upcoming film. I Personally, I think, I don't know for sure, but I think they knew, I think it was very calculated because of the way like it lined it. up. It feels it, like it had it. to be <laughs> like, there's probably some things that were just like, Oh, that just worked itself out. You know what I mean? But for the most part, it was probably very calculated. I have a feeling they knew what they were doing because at the scale, and if they didn't, it wouldn't have been as well. There'd be so many plot holes and you know how, you know how devoted to that 
world some people are like even yourself with spider-man but like some people probably even more than you are oh yeah i just sure. like <laughs> completely enthralled with the marvel comics they would have called out every single plot hole that's out there nitpicking but at, at like generally speaking it's very thorough there's not a lot of plot holes if any in that entire series from iron man one to now it's honestly crazy and the fact that it worked out in the way that it did like i actually found out recently because i found this youtube channel called corridor and they do a whole bunch of vfx stuff they're they're primarily youtube channel that just does vfx work because they became interested in it and then all of a sudden it was like they became interested plus youtube and then computing power itself just got better so they could do awesome vfx work with a really tiny team and so yeah. they'll do this version where it's they react to good, bad, and ugly VFX. And so they've actually sat down with some of the Marvel people and talked about the Marvel films. So yeah. if you've seen the one scene where they're all walking in their uh, red and white suit before they go into the, the back in, in time. And then get, yeah, yeah. yeah, in Endgame. Because they filmed both of those films back to back, the two Endgame ones, it, they those suits were full CGI. They weren't real suits. <laughs> Really? Yeah, it's crazy. I had no idea. I was like, what the hell? Yeah, I wouldn't have guessed that. <laughs> and then it's like even cooler because when you start like looking into like how some of these scenes were like made, like Weta Digital did like some of the big battle scenes. And so Weta Workshop is the was started because of the Lord of the Rings films. Lord, yeah, yeah. And so it's like all of a sudden you have this crazy lineage of VFX studios and just who do epic things that just have the ability to work on these even like it just a lineage of epic things as they just get to refine their craft as artists. Basically, it's just such a cool like way for all these like different people who just get really good at what they do and continue to be like really good at what they do. Right. <laughs> Damn. I actually didn't know what I was involved in that. But I, that another that makes thing sense I learned now. about, but right. It makes sense. Right. Like, you'd think they, you, they would of all people. I think Lord of the Rings was one of the first, as far as VFX goes, was like, Damn, that's really good. When, like 2001 or so? I think so. Around then. Around it was the then. early 2000s, and it was like, oh, damn. Yeah, <laughs> even that. But then Two Towers is the one that stuck out to me. Return of the King 2, but the second one, what, Helm's Deep, was it? Yeah, with the big battle scene where yeah, all the I orcs mean, but are in that the- castle. Like, them built, like, they, didn't they actually build that? They, like, built, they built parts that. of it, and then it was like green screens to increase the scale of, right. of things. But yeah. But I'm like, dude. Yeah, that's insane. And one, New Zealand must be beautiful. I want to go. <laughs> I want to go there, because damn, like <laughs> it's just like seeing how old those movies are. Which is, I hate that that <laughs> those movies are considered old now. <laughs> <laughs> but um, we're old, Jordan. I don't know the last time you watched Lord of the Rings, but I just recently, a couple, maybe a month or two ago, watched all three because i made alex watch them she's never seen them I'm oh, like, oh, okay. we're watching we're watching these so we watched all the remastered ones oh man and they still hold up those Do are they? still great movies they still they're still great movies but like some parts you're like oh like special effects got way better since then yeah. but like <laughs> at the time and even still i'm like this is still great like it still stands and i guess i don't know a lot about special effects i don't know what goes into it but just looking like from a consumer standpoint just looking at it i'm like that's it's pretty incredible that they're able to make a world like that and the scale and it still stands yeah to like stuff we see now just imagine just for instance imagine the computing power they had in the early 2000s and they did all that work on it and just think of how fast like your phone is 
because their phone really your phone didn't exist. It actually it was in 2007 the first iPhone was released. So before like you're talking about like many years of miniaturization of technology to allow phones to do half of the things they can even do. So you're you're really like it's incredible just what technology has allowed us to do to push the the image processing and and like just what we can do to for like 3D rendering and making things look way more realistic, which goes to show just how good they those people were with what they had. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd be curious to what else they've had their hands in because if I'm making something that needs to be scaled to that like that large, they're probably first on my list to be like, hey, y'all want to help me on this? I trust you. You got a good track record. Avengers, Lord of the Rings, you're good. Right. <laughs> like anything um, epic is their number one on the call list. What's interesting though is they, they I I read this somewhere, they don't get involved in video games. Oh, really? Are, That's interesting. Which is, which is interesting. They like, they're just not interested. I have to, I've read that. Yeah, I'd have to fact check that, but I'm pretty sure I read that. And I was curious why that wouldn't be the case. Cause I feel like they would kill, if they can do that with a movie, they would just kill yeah. like a video game franchise, especially like a Lord of the Rings one or something. But yeah, I'm curious, I'm curious if there's any overlap like within VFX and then doing model building, for instance, like the 3D rendering of like how your character moves in the video game world. It, are there over i don't have any idea if this is true or not but is, is there overlap between those two skill sets so that it you can create because i feel like it's similar things the only difference is that you have to create a way for the character to be controlled in the world and, if it's a playable character otherwise it would right. be just like you just have a program that runs those movements as like an yeah as a non-playable character i have no yeah, idea. i'm not sure i think video games might be more animation but i just figure because I'm sure in Lord of the Rings, like I know not all of those horses were real horses. Yes. So they had to do some animation. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then, so I'm curious. That's a good question. The cool thing too in that, in those bigger scenes is they actually started using some early forms of machine learning for those like larger simulated battles for all those horses or like the running figures on the field. And mm -hmm. because they use early forms of, of machine learning, some of the figures would actually, they, they would zoom in and like some of the special effects are the uh, special features at the end of it. And you'd see some of the orcs running away, even though they should be running into the battle. <laughs> so, really? Yeah. So like the AI was like learning that some of those, like it was giving values to some of those characters so that like, it was like making it real that some of those miscellaneous soldiers were like, Oh fuck this thing. I'm getting out. <laughs> That's so crazy. That's that's crazy. That's kind of scary. Actually. I don't know. I don't know if I should be scared or like <laughs> excited. It was like an, an un, you know unintended consequence of making something off of a model, where it's just here. We'll just let the computer handle it, and then all of a sudden it's like, wait, the computer's saying there. The computer is like, nah, fam. <laughs> so it's like it's cool, and that kind of stuff is coming back, or not coming back, but like being used probably more and more nowadays because. You basically have, oh, actually, there, I can pull this in another, another thing. So there's a another YouTube channel called Two Minute Papers. Okay. And Two Minute Papers, he's a PhD who does a lot of AI image processing and like 3D rendering in, in general for like simulation technology. But he recently did a paper where they took the game Grand Theft Auto V, for those who don't know, it's commonly called GTA V, and they had a computer simulation model where they took real images of Germany and what they called is like a, a super simulation. So they take the real images and take a rendered image like the GTA and then they basically overlay the real 
and try to turn it into photorealism in the game. And so they actually achieved it. And it looks insane. Like you wouldn't, like if someone just showed you the simulated super real photos of LA, because that's what GTA is, you wouldn't be able to tell it apart. Like it takes away, like in video games, they typically do a cinematic oversaturation from rendering engines. So it just has this overly vibrant thing to it. So you can just tell it's not real life. But in real life, everything's a little bit more muted and like kind of fuzzier. And so you get this really different feel for GTA, but it's still the same game. And then he does split frame where it's like game world and then the super real world. And the crazy thing is that this is all learned from German photos. It's not even LA. So it was able to interpret the image and give you the photorealism thing based off of Germany. Yo, that's crazy. <laughs> that's really crazy. It's hard to wrap your head around, right? If you're not, if you don't know how that kind of process works. Yes. And I'll, I'll definitely link the video in the show notes for people and I'll send it to you after we stop talking here. But yeah, send it to makers myself. <laughs> it's so cool because what they, what he posits in the video is basically what we could do like in video game engines rather than an artist, like a 3D environment artist having to go through and painstakingly render and model and try to get like a street corner perfect every time you get it close enough and then you do this AI machine learning thing of, okay, we know this is a street sign and a street corner and all these like assumed variables from real life. And you let that do most, like the rest of the post-processing to get to 99.5% and then maybe have an artist go in at the very end to fine tune even further if needed. Right. You all of a sudden reduce all of that development time that normally an artist is spending hundreds and hundreds of hours rendering to get the models just right. Right. That's so tight. So a little sidebar, I guess, but I'm curious why in like sports games, or I guess not why, but I'm curious if they use that same technology and if they don't, why they wouldn't, because that would using that, just using that technology, just, I don't know, you don't, you might not play many sports games, but I love like Madden and 2K. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that takes you out of the immersion of the game is like the fans are so fake looking. (laughs) <laughs> yeah and like their movements are so i don't know there's so, like i can go into detail like in 2k specifically yeah, like you'll be in a game and it's like the last 30 like the last two minutes let's just say yeah. it's a close game and you hit a basket and like in real life the roof would come off the place you know what i mean if you take the lead the roof comes off the place in 2k it's like oh yeah it's it's not even like that exciting (laughs) yeah and i'm like okay it's just a game it's not a big deal but i'm like at the same time it makes you it just makes you remember that you're playing a game and i feel like for me being a writer that's the worst thing like having someone remember oh i'm watching a movie oh i'm watching a tv show you want them to be like completely forget that's what's happening you want to pull them down into the experience and until the credits roll you you want them to be in it (laughs) (laughs) like wow that was great but if you're thinking the whole time oh this is a movie i don't know i feel like you're missing something you know what i mean so in a game i feel the same way like especially a game because you are like you're you're actually you're role-playing in a sense in a weird sense right like we started talking about mass effect which is a role-playing game but in sports games you're doing the same thing right like you're allowing fans to be able to play as their favorite sports figure or their favorite sports team and from 
I used to play the old NBA games in the early 90s. And back then, obviously, computing power and all that stuff was way, way different than it is today. But I remember always being like looking at the crowd. And back then, like the crowd was just a blob of color. And maybe like the front two rows were like stick figures. Mm. (laughs) And if the ball rolled over there, you get to see that. Oh, or to the out, out of bounds, you'd see that the crowd was like basically just fake mannequins that weren't even like models or anything the, the ball would just go right through them like they yeah. weren't really even there and so obviously that is a limitation of the technology at the time but i think now with a lot of these like these machine learning models where we can do a lot more this is i don't know how you technically do this but what i would say is you would want to code for two things to bring the crowd alive so it would allow you'd have a dynamic crowd like a code underneath and what you'd want to do is you'd basically Go to real games and see like what, how does a crowd react in in a real game that's close with five minutes on the board and it's like a two two to four point lead or whatever and it's really close. So you'd want to like record sound and record like crowd reactions so that you get really close to the real auto audio fidelity, and then in code you would take those same sort of like audio cues or even crowd cues and keyframe them so that if the game has those similar type attributes, you could then extrapolate those kinds of things into the crowd noise and crowd environment and possibly if you want to get to even more immersive so like playstation 5 has all the haptic stuff with the the controller now so it like rumbles Mm. way more accurately and things like that so if it's a really close game you'd want to make it feel like the crowd is like really getting agitated so the controller would vibrate differently if it was a tight game so then that would give you even more immersion to feel the intensity feel the crowd so that's that would that would be how I would tackle those kind of like immersive problems where the crowd's not reacting in proportion to the actual events. Right. So yeah. <laughs> no, I think you're right. And sometimes they get it. It's it's just not consistent. You yeah. know what I mean? So like it sounds like they haven't it, refined it enough. And it, that might be a, a side effect of because they try to push these games out every once year. a year. And that's the thing in of itself. That's such a, that's capitalism. Really, whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I'm like, personally, as a consumer, I would prefer it. And I love sports. I love sports. I love sports games. I'm not, I'll never like out of everything I can accomplish yet in this world, there's certain things that are just impossible that are just not going to happen. Like just no matter what I do, <laughs> no matter how hard I try, it's not going to happen out of those few things being in the NBA, <laughs> being in the NFL, are just oh, one of those things. So Your, your like, ticket was missed a while ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like playing 2K or, you know, Madden are one of those times that I'm like, I can, it's, it doesn't, it, it's not a pure, real comparison, but it's the closest thing, <laughs> literally, that I can get outside of like intramurals yeah. or something. Your um, intensity when you play those games is through the roof. Oh, it's, it's real, dude. It might as well be. <laughs> I'm, I should have a contract at this point. Give me a 10-day contract. I've been playing this for years. Uh, <laughs> um, but no, but I would, being that, being the background, I would prefer if they didn't put it out year over year mm-hmm. and instead took two years, three years, maybe not so much GTA taking like, what, almost 10 years now to make a GTA 6? Sounds about Whatever. right. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, taking a couple of years to like refine those like small little lapses that they might miss year over year because it's it just ends up being the same thing you're same, getting with you get a little bit better of like athlete rendering maybe a little bit more sweat yeah. Or something. yeah you get like one more person in the crowd that you can pick out like <laughs> come yeah. on. i honestly i think in those games because they come out so frequently a lot of the like 
engineers and technical people that you never hear about though i feel like those guys are probably like come on like they they want to push it way more there's please let yeah. us just let us try these things out but because they push them out so often they're like let's not break something if we know it's already working you know right. and especially because sports is evolving and all that kind of stuff all the time because it's like man this, this conversation is so weird i'm pulling in so many different things that i've been exploring it's like I've been recently started watching the F1 series on Netflix and I'm not a big, I've never been really big into racing, but this, for whatever reason, the way they film this F1 series really makes it like super interesting to understand the narratives of the companies that or the, the companies and then the teams and the drivers are like that race in this crazy race. And so that kind of forced me to uh, actually download Forza and play a racing game because I was just like, oh my God, I'm just like... The intensity of racing and like that idea to maybe it's partly enge like the engineer in me because I really enjoy the idea of a driver being symbiotic with technology where like in F1 racing, you're going like 230 miles an hour on straights and anything you mess up, you're in a wall and your car is shattered. Like it's something yeah. crazy. And then the other part of that is, is the, is when you see just like the narrative of like why people race or why people drive and then like why the managers do what they do. It's like all of these people just really love this idea of creating the best thing that they can do, which is, it's almost like a microcosm of like why anyone chooses to do anything. It's like at some point when you see people who do anything is you see why people do anything. And it's so, it's just so much fun to me. So then it's like, by me going to play the game, it's the closest thing I can get to being a race car driver. Nah, man, just get out there right now, dude. Yeah, dude, just I'm just gonna go jump in a car. Like, right, I'm just gonna floor it, right? Right. <laughs> floor it. <laughs> Why, SpongeBob? Oh. Yo, SpongeBob always makes it in. But no, okay, let me a sidebar. In LA, I think that's what happens. I think people have watched that Netflix show and then say, "You were like, I'm gonna go download Forza." They were like, "I'm gonna go." drive on the 405 and buy, and buy a lambo on top of that <laughs> yeah i mean these people dude the driving people drive so freaking crazy out here like it's i scary. can't even i can't really it's scary but it's yo what are you doing they'll just like someone wants to merge they just do it like they just there i am i'm in your lane now <laughs> i'm like okay great so, so you slow down <laughs> at your own risk kind of thing yeah it's it's nuts i don't get it I'm still trying to figure that out, but I don't get it. And then even drive like driving through to Vegas last week or two weeks ago, sorry. Like even going around mountains, people are just like whipping it. Yeah, because you're like on I'm those like, curved roads where it's like cliffs yeah. on one side. Yeah, and I'm like being cautious. So I'm gonna take my time. No, they're hitting like 60 around these turns. I'm like, all right, relax. That's yeah. nuts. Yeah. It's nuts. I, I can't, I like racing games and it's maybe it's a profession, perfectionistic thing in me that I, I really, I don't consider myself a competitive person, but there's something about racing games that push me to my edge where it's, I have to do a perfect lap. It's like you in sports games where it's, if you start losing, you're like, nope, got to restart the whole season. Yep, <laughs> not going to do that. There like, there'll be points where I'm like, so into things that I'm just like, we're restarting this until I start perfectly. And I start, and I basically start the race and I'm, in first place for 90% of the race. <laughs> and if I don't have that perfect lap and I fuck up in the middle, restarting it. Don't care. Yeah, I gotta do it. Gotta do it over. <laughs> perfect lap ruined. Right. <laughs> perfect run ruined. <laughs> I don't know what it is. <laughs> That's hilarious. No, I gotta check out that in that show. Yeah. F, F1. The F1 series is, it's really interesting because you, you don't, it's like weird 
when you're just a like a casual bystander, and maybe it's because we're just not exposed to it, like we didn't have family or friends who are really... But it's more interesting than what you think it is once you start to learn about the companies that do it and why they do it, and then all the technology that goes into making like a sports car. Like they're basically one step removed from like a jet airplane, but a jet airplane with wheels <laughs> with how much <laughs> precision is involved in, in making those things function like they do. Like they're some right. of the most fine tuned specialty cars in the world. <laughs> you, you've seen a, what's a Ford versus Ferrari, right? Yes. Yeah. That was an incredible That's movie. A, yeah. That, that was one of the movies I think that kind of really put the perspective on what it takes to be, like a race car driver, like that weird symbiosis of the man machine thing where it's Mm -hmm. sometimes it just takes a driver to pull out that little bit of performance in a vehicle. There's a special person that can do that. Like you can't just put any normal human into a car and say, they're going to be able to drive this thing like anybody else. It's like, no, there's a lot going on here that you don't know. Is that the same race or no? No, F1 is the, is more the, I'm trying to remember what race the Ford versus Ferrari is. It's not F1 though. F1 is like the spaceship cars with the uncovered wheels and it's oh, like the, okay. the single cockpit. Yeah, yeah. It's not actual. Okay. They don't look like real, like normal cars. Whereas, like, yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Gotcha, so gotcha. F1 is way more specialized vehicles than the Ford versus Ferrari ones, but they're similar in like scope, I would say, like nowadays, because some of those cars that were spawned out of the Ford versus Ferrari stuff is like still very much alive today. Yeah. I was just watching car videos. My friend, uh, Brian from Beerhead, he, um, sends me like Mustang video because I had one. So now he mm. just, oh, I guess you're obsessed with Mustangs, which I'm not, but I am and I'm not. <laughs> but like he'll send me videos every now and then of like a new Mustang or something coming yeah. out, and, like all these specs and stuff. I'm like, I don't understand it all, but it's dope. <laughs> you're like, more is better. <laughs> Got it. Right. Like, Sounds good. Looks cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've been, I've been really into the electronic vehicle world since Ford has announced their F-150 full electric vehicle it looks insane it's one of the things that it's like the evolution things that we've been talking about like at least with electronic vehicles because you no longer have an engine and you have a pickup truck now all of a sudden where your engine would go is now a front trunk so you get Hmm. the best of both worlds in a pickup truck where you you get a truck bed plus a a front trunk huh is it that's interesting. Right? <laughs> um, is it still like four-wheel drive, all-wheel yeah, drive, all that? It's really? all of it. And then it, it, the cooler part is because it's full electric, it has all of the the different plugs. So if you're a guy who works at a work site or something, you can basically turn – your car is a generator. So really? You, so you can just plug in anything from 120, 120, 240 into your truck directly. There's four outlets just right in the truck bed, and you're just like, I need to use this all or something right here at the work site. Just plug it right in and just got to make sure you don't kill your battery obviously but right because you got to leave if if you're working eight hour shift i'm i you'd probably have to really be pushing it to use it all up but right if you if your company's buying in and buying those as work trucks you probably have a couple of them laying around so you know you have one that's there as the work truck site truck and then another one that is the one to travel around with (laughs) (laughs) right but it's it's really cool technology to, to see that kind of evolution yeah, I wonder if that's going to be the new like standard cuz out here there's so many maybe it's in Chicago too maybe I just didn't notice but mm-hmm. I see a lot of I don't even know what you call them charging ports for oh, yeah. electric cars like they're super like almost every block. That's awesome. You know what I mean? Like super common. I feel like it started out there by you guys more more than anyone. Like it started to to show up more like they're 
they had a Tesla charging station close to us, and they recently doubled the amount of charging ports there. Oh, damn. Yeah, so it went from six, and now I think it's like 12. It's definitely ramping up, it feels. And just like for reference, for people who don't know, the reason that it's a big deal that Ford F-150 is going full electric is that the F-150 is the, by numbers, it's the most selling vehicle in America, period, or in the world. And I didn't know that. So of, of all Ford, or of all vehicle models, the F-150 is the best-selling vehicle. Damn. Like, I had no idea either. I was like, wait, what, for real? <laughs> of all vehicles, I would never have guessed the F-150. <laughs> that makes sense. You do see a lot of 150s. Yeah, and just if you think about it logistically, too, typically if you're using it as a work truck, it you would have a generator in the back of your truck, plus then all your work tools that would run off of that generator. At, with a full True. electric vehicle, you no longer need to have ex- external equipment outside of the actual work equipment itself. So, right, you got it's in your car. Yeah, it's already there. Like you don't need to worry about it. So it's just like all these cool benefits. It's just a matter of making it affordable for people. It, like, yeah, it's still going to be expensive for the first model. I think it starts at like almost fifty. So it's expensive, but that's not that crazy. I thought you no, were going to say one hundred. It starts at fifty, and then you can go up to almost a hundred if you get like the decked out all the, the platinum model, whatever right. whatever you call it. <laughs> all the upgrades you yeah. can get. Yeah, yeah. It's got like a basically um, a pool in the back. A thought I've I've had recently semi recently about electric cars. Does that pose any like environmental risks? I don't know if you would know anything on that. I guess the biggest issue is that if we're transitioning from gas to electricity because instead of using gas to fill up your car and then emit all that CO2, you're now taking all of that energy usage that would go into producing gas and transitioning into the electrical grid because now you're charging all these batteries. So basically if the process to generate electricity is dirtier than the process to create gasoline fuel, then that there's your risk. And then the other part is you're just increasing demand from the electrical grid that doesn't exist right now. So the question is, can the grid help or like sustain all of this new extra charging that is being put onto it. And then it's the other part of this is just making battery technology and whether or not that is causing extra waste to be produced because battery technology can be, it takes, you know, lithium, which is a heavy metal and it's, it's the best material we know how to make batteries from right now, from an energy density standpoint. And so the question there is if we're producing all these really advanced battery techs, does that, cause any extra waste production there which it seems like we've actually made it better like some of the first generation batteries used to degrade pretty quickly where it would go to like 70% of capacity after a few i want to say 50,000 miles or something like that but now it seems like they've mitigated that limitation and it's only 5% degradation okay. so it's you don't really get a lot of loss so right they seem pretty stable in that sense that's interesting yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not very keen on the environmental things but I was always curious. I'm like, I feel like everything has a downside, right? The big um, thing is that, so just, this might be overly technical, but basically when you're charging a battery, it's like you're using up capacity of the system and it's based on, it's not really an inductive, it's probably, it's a capacitive load. So it takes longer. If you imagine a graph, it has a slow ramp time. And so it's running your AC. So running ACs in the summertime when it's hot, it puts a lot of load on, on the overall network. So like places like where you live, they would do like selective uh, brownouts. So in, in to, to pull back some of the load on the grid so it's not stressed all the time. So mm. that's why we really need to start 
basically adapting our grid so that we have like storage so that we can have more reactive capacity so that when there is high demand situations that then you can ramp up because you can imagine that as more people get electronic vehicles that they're going to plug in their vehicle at home at night which typically it gets cooler at night so you're expecting that the demand on the network the power network isn't as big but then right. all of a sudden it's like during the peak time you have two peaks then like around noon because oh, it's hot yeah. and then you have a charging peak time that's when people get home from work gotcha so there's that's how you think about it at, at large scale like at, at small scale it's not a big deal because you can you're not using a whole lot as a single person but when you multiply it by 100,000 vehicles or whatever <laughs> that's when you start having to think about these things like this in scale that's the environmental aspect at least gotcha okay that makes sense yeah that makes sense so Houston, better be careful. Yeah, places that are hot, yeah. <laughs> typically hot and stuff like that. It's it's a there's a lot of logistics that go into play here, and it, hopefully we get better at it. I think the other part of this is as more people install like solar roofs and stuff like that, you can start to have like your own personal storage at your house that could then charge your car, that could then like just help smooth out some of the the demand issues okay that makes sense so sidebar talking about heat yeah a lot of sidebars uh (laughs) speaking on heat so went to vegas for the first time it was fun good time good time you have you been i haven't been there i have not been there yet i would like to go at some point (laughs) yeah we we need to go we need to go it was a very it was a good trip expensive trip i feel like it's much needed though considering you guys haven't really done a vacation thing in a while (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But it was fun. It was for my brother's birthday. Oh, um, So his birthday was that weekend. So they were there from Thursday to Friday to Tuesday. And we only went Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Left Tuesday morning, afternoon. Anyway, okay. So I am a darker skinned individual, right? I have a melanin. So most of my life, I've never really, and I know you. everyone needs sunscreen. I've never needed sunscreen. Right. Like I've never experienced sunburn. I've never... That's never been a real worry. If we were going to the beach, I didn't think, oh shit, I forgot my sunscreen. Like I was like, I'll be straight. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'll be good to go. Where like our friend Ben, on the other hand, he would it would be almost devastating. <laughs> He'd turn into a lobster by the end of the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like he has consequences. So we go. To, okay, so we, we're going to Vegas, and the day we get there, they're they're at a pool party at Circa on the roof, and we get ready. We do our thing. We go, and I get it's a pool party, so I get in the water. And I'm like sitting there and I'm like looking around and I'm like, yo, I feel like a pumpernickel, dude. <laughs> like, like when I tell you I was so hot and I was like, I don't like this. I was like, yo, we have to go. <laughs> I was like, I don't like what I'm feeling, but I get it. And I'm sorry for all the shit I've ever talked. <laughs> like, We got to go. And I was, I was like looking at Alex, like, why didn't you warn me? <laughs> She's, you always talk shit and say you don't need it. I'm like, but dude this heat it was like the desert heat dude it was like nothing but sun it was like the sun was ne- like in the pool party with you like, so i bought sunscreen you felt like the I- roast in the oven yeah bro i was hot like literally my shoulders were hurting and i like kept turning i felt like a rotisserie chicken bro like i kept turning <laughs> like every couple minutes <laughs> i was like oh my chest is hot so i would turn but uh, my back is hot and i would turn i'm like i'm literally cooking i'm about to be well done it's like we gotta get out of here so. <laughs> 
we left after an hour or something like that. What was the temperature? Was it had to be in the nineties? It was a hundred, dude. Oh like my the whole God. weekend it was like hundred degrees. Like driving there, we had the AC blowing, and I, I just rolled down the windows every now and then. So I'd roll down the window, and it would be like heat smacks you in the face. Yeah. Just like I'm like, oh, roll them up. Never mind. Dude. I don't want the window open. <laughs> dude, it is hot. I'm like, I don't know how people live out here. It's hot. It's yeah. hot. It's not humid though, but it's it's, it's yeah, just it's a dry heat. Yeah. Because I'm like, that's ah. what it, it's out here now. It, Chicago is in full summer humidity mode right now. Earlier today, before it had a sporadic thunderstorm, it was like 93 and 90% humidity. <laughs> that's sticky. That's yeah, sticky. You, you walk outside and you're like, oh, yep, there, yep, I'm sticky. <laughs> but oh, man. I totally feel you on the sunburn part of it because it was obviously I am a lighter skinned individual, so I have to pay attention to it a little bit. But we were in Michigan, it was like 90 again out there, and we spent two hours outdoors peeling. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Um, you guys went kayaking, right? Yeah, we went kayaking, so I got real good on my shoulders and stuff like that. Weirdly enough, I was it was like one day where I was like, yeah, this is gonna be sunburn, and then we made sure to like put sunblock on every 30 minutes. Basically, it was like anytime I felt hot, it was like, okay, cool. Time to put more sunblock on. I didn't know. Like, I I get it. <laughs> I get it. I've never experienced that before, but yeah. I feel you. I, I was. Um, I will tell you a story. There was one time when I went to Cancun a long time ago now, when I was like 19. I got sunburn on the inner part of my thighs because we were out on the beach. <laughs> and I remember getting back ho- back to the hotel room after spending out all day in the beach or on the beach. And it was like why can't I touch my thighs together? This hurts. And I look, I remember looking in my, <laughs> you could see a line where the sun, bl- suntan had already started. And then you'd see the rest of the sunburn had started. And you're like, Oh, the place I never would have guessed to get sunburn. And I had to go to sleep with a <laughs> pillow between my legs so that they wouldn't touch and be extra painful. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> you know that's the worst spot that has to be the worst spot for some <laughs> I, I can't think of a worse oh, spot true. than that <laughs> no I, did, I didn't actually get sunburned i didn't because we left pretty quick because i was like i don't want to feel that so like we left and then i went i literally went to <laughs> it was funny because we were talking about uber driver and she's black too and i was like yo i didn't know it was like that and she's like, oh yeah you got to go to cvs so she like dropped me off at cvs <laughs> So I could get sunscreen. It was hilarious. But I was like, I'm like, I, I can't do that. So I never, I still, I had never felt it, but I felt pre-sunburn. Yeah. It was like the HIV to sunburn. Like it wasn't, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Sunburn uh-huh. is one of those weirdest things. It's, it's your body telling you this, this sucks, but it's once it's over, you're good. <laughs> At least until. The- Which is most things. Once it's over, it's fine. But I was like, I'm good. Like. Out of all the life experiences, like, there's so many things in life that we can go through and we can experience and see as a person. And like, you want to have a well-rounded life. If there was like a like, if I had to make a list of things I'm okay with not experiencing, sunburn is probably at the top. <laughs> like, yeah, probably like number one on that list. Like, I'll be okay if I never know what that feels like. I'll be straight. <laughs> like, I'm you gonna know? be honest. Like, I'll let other people experience that. Yeah, tell me about it, and I'll take your word for it. Don't want to feel that. I'm yeah, I, I don't know if you saw. There was a guy who recently. But- he was sunbathing, I think it was, or he, he was wearing his mask and he forgot to take off his mask while he was sunbathing outside and took a nap. And he is it was tan. He it wasn't tan. Let's just put it this way. He was probably someone from Northern Ireland who skips the tanning part and goes straight to Red Lobster. 
So he had a perfect mask shape circle around his nose and mouth, and then you could see the strings <laughs> that go around his ears. And he's like, how am I supposed to go to work oh now? My God. <laughs> I'll see if I like can a client meeting. He's like, uh... I'll see if I find the video on uh, Instagram that I saw. It was really funny <laughs> and really unfortunate. Wow. Thankfully, you won't ever Man. have to experience that level of... Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'll be good. But no, I got sunscreen now, so I'm good. I'm like double good because I learned my lesson, you know? Especially because... I learned I mean, my lesson. You guys get a lot of sun out there, too, in general. Like, I'm assuming... Or at least now that it's not in, during fire season because that was, like, probably the most... Most <laughs> blocked out the sun it ever was for <laughs> you guys. And it... That the fire, yeah, but yeah, we moved in August, and so a lot of the that fire season came in like September. Okay, so we have a little bit. It probably starts drying out around now. I don't know. I'm still still new enough to the point where I don't really know the cycles like that. Yeah. Um, but the weather's been immaculate this, these last couple of weeks. I'm sure it's been in Chicago, like pretty much everywhere. Weather is probably really good. But yeah, it's definitely um, full summer. Yeah, you can't beat it here. It's sunny every day. Like it's like how it is. And we're on Zoom. Yeah. For people listening. So it's like this every day. It looks you know? like perfect weather. Sunny and just <laughs> generally nice. <laughs> and that's probably a huge part of the draw. But it's funny because it, it almost makes you like being in Chicago when it's like you have certain days or certain amounts of time when the weather is at its peak. So you like you have to be outside. You have to get outside during those times here. So I'll just go out tomorrow. <laughs> it's like really easy to say that. I'll just do it tomorrow. You know what I mean? Because it's, it's going to be nice tomorrow. Yeah. Um, that's weird to me. So it's because... give and take with everything's give and take. <laughs> Because I'm so used to like, <laughs> you like start day. taking things for granted. Yeah, I'm always like, oh, it's nice out here, or like 90 degrees or whatever. I'm like, I'm going outside because I don't have a clue when you know it could rain for the next three days, or especially when Chicago's changing weather. It's like cloudy and boring and gray, so you get depressed <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> when everything is gray for <laughs> a week straight. You're like, I haven't seen the sun in a week. Why? Imagine Seattle. Oh God, I don't know if I could do it, honestly. The sun is great. I live there, but it's my number, as of right now, it's the number one place I want to visit in the U.S. Oh, really? In Seattle. Anything specific? Yeah, I, I don't know, but I think that's why I want to go so bad, because I don't know why I feel that strongly about it. Outside of the fact that it like it's beautiful, even with the overcast, like it is a beautiful city. I'm so outside of that, I'm like, I don't know what it is, but I've had that feeling for a long time. So I'm like, I feel like I just need to check that off the box, you know? Yeah, just see what it's all about. I'd probably cool to go there during like, springish or so where it's everything starts going green yeah it's probably right about now probably a good time. yeah i would say so i don't know what the weather gets like over there well, i was gonna say we just have a friend one of our best friends moving to new york gives us an excuse to go there you know yeah florida it's just, too <laughs> it's weird i know it, it's, yeah florida too we still we need to make a trip out there yeah maybe that should be the move instead of going to like the nautilus thing with plane tickets on the rise mm -hmm. holy spitballing here randomly i might delete this part of this but instead of uh going to nala or whatever we we just go to uh florida and visit ben because then at least he can be there and we don't have to spend nearly as much money yeah. on plane tickets then or make him go yeah, somewhere or else. like airbnb yeah mm -hmm. I'd be down for that and go to Jacksonville. Yeah. Because, yeah, because Joe was saying Nashville, and I'm like, I just, like, Nashville, I'm sure it's cool. I'm sure it's a fun time. But I'm like, I, I just don't care to go to Nashville. You know what I mean? It's not somewhere on your list that you care about. <laughs> I don't know. I just don't care to go. Yeah, I don't blame you. I'm sure I'll go at some point, but I'm like, 
Yeah. So I was like, I'll pass that one. Alex said the same thing. She was like, yeah, I try to think of everywhere to go. Nashville would be like way towards the bottom. And I'm like, that's <laughs> how I think. But I'm, yeah. sure it's a, I'm sure it's a great time. That's not like a hating. Like, I'm sure it's really fun. Yeah. <laughs> it, it just doesn't sound worth the money to you, which is fine. The other part. Yeah. For like, especially for like the first trip. Yeah. I, I'm trying to think because I just saw, I'm not sure which Universal this is at, but they just came out with a new ride for one of the Universals for Jurassic World. That looks amazing. It's like one of those oh, shit. water rides, like a raft. Oh man, th- I guess this is perfect. Going back to the immersive thing of like entertainment as a category. And so one of the things they did with this raft ride, so you're like floating through and on one of, there's a video, I, again, I'll show the video I saw it on YouTube, but they have a, ra- uh, a screen. It's like a giant flat screen TV that shows like the inside of an aquarium. And they have one of the like prehistoric whales that's, it eats a shark. And when it like splashes, they timed the video to a real water splash as if it's like splashing water on you and it like can swim underneath the like the track you're under. And then it's, it comes up on the right side and then it like swims back around and then it like attacks the glass and it leaves a crack in the glass and splashes more water over you. But it's all like a video that's Yo. playing. It looks so cool. And then like, as you keep going through the ride, it has like animatronic dinosaurs on like the sides of you drinking water and whatnot. It, like it just, I don't know. I mean, dinosaurs. No, that sounds dope it, as fuck. Plus it's just like summertime. Yeah. You get covered in water on a ride at Universal. I know you went and saw the Harry Potter area there. So it's just like on yeah. par with that. Plus I really just want to go see the Star Wars area too. If that's where we would be. <laughs> Oh no! Universal. Oh, is there a Star Wars one? There's a that's at Disneyland, I think. D- Disneyland has a. Oh okay. I'm con- I'm conflating the two. Star Wars. World. Yeah, they have a Star Wars section that okay. opened up. I want to say two years ago. That could totally be off. But yeah, they like you can walk in there and they have like actual right. real cantinas, of you can buy the blue drink that's from the fi- like films as like a beer or something. <laughs> yeah, it's dope. Yo, the, okay. Dude, the hospitality, like Disney's uh, Universal, I don't, I guess that's Universal, but their hospitality expertise is off the charts, dude. Like, that's really <laughs> dope. Like, we definitely need to do that just because when, when we went to the Harry Potter world, I just remember thinking this is one of the most impressive things I've ever seen. This was someone's idea. Someone So immersive, I'm assuming. Out <laughs> of, like someone... Yeah, it was immersive, but it was just impressive because I'm like, yo, some lady was, I don't know if she was homeless, but broke and thought of something, of a story. And however many, 20, 30 years later, it turns into this. To me, that's one of the coolest things in the world. What uh, turns into this hospitality? Like, <laughs> we have drinks of a drink. Okay, I don't know how much thought she put into the drinks that they were drinking in Harry Potter, but the fact that they were like, yo, we're going to make this part of the thing. Like, we're going to have butter beers, right. and it's like one of the biggest draws <laughs> of this whole place. And I don't know. It's just so dope. Like the interactive wands you have mm-hmm. and like it interacts with the setting. Like you can wave it at, uh, I think the dragon and it like roars or something. I'm just That's like, That's so cool. Dude. It's just really tight. It's just really dope. Yeah. I would love to go do that. Um, yeah. We, we got to see the star Wars one. 
that I would love to, I really would like to eventually surprise my dad with the Star Wars one and just be like, dad, we're taking time off and we're just going to go for a week. And he's just going to be a big kid no. at Star Wars, <laughs> the Star Wars land. <laughs> because, you know. The, you would love that. You'd have to, you'd have to get him a lightsaber. Oh yeah, for sure. They, I think they have like a build your own lightsaber, <laughs> build the bear, but lightsaber style. <laughs> so it would be so cool just to be able to go do that and have a reason to just do that in some sense because it's like one of those things you should experience once or at least one time especially if you're into it if that's your you like have to but yeah we should make that happen that disney world is in orlando yeah it's right? two yeah, hours orlando. away from i think jacksonville from yeah so that's when i went that's where i stayed in orlando and then ben and diana just met they're like two hours, but opposite directions. Oh, really? So like Ben's north and Diana's like southwest. Oh, wow. But they're both like two hours away, so they just met there. So it worked out, but... That does work out. We should definitely do that. That might be the better move. Get an Airbnb in Orlando or something instead and just position it so that Ben can meet us out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That sounds that. like the move. Yeah, I think so too. Especially in other things, everything's opening back so up. It's, I'm looking forward to to getting back out in the world and actually doing the travel that I wanted to do and just haven't put the time on the calendar, dude. Yeah, man. It's crazy. I'm so happy, dude. It's, I don't know. It's almost happening faster than I thought it would. I agree. I don't know if I don't you know. feel that. It, it definitely, especially the last month since I've been, so I'm back, like I told you, I'm back in the office and working as if nothing ever happened, it seems. And it's, I don't know if it's making up for lost time, but it's almost like, it's like a shrug, maybe. Like, we went through all of this stuff, and it was like, we did what we had to do for because we weren't sure. But for the most part, it's just like, all right, let's just move on. Like, we, we know we're, we're vaccinated. It, it's, it covers our bases, and if you get sick, well, it's, you know, what just happens to people, right? There's like a, a, certain, like a certain percentage of the time you just get sick, or you just happen to get sick if for whatever reason. So that's right. there's not much extra thought put into it beyond maybe there's still like sanitizing stuff around a little bit, but it's for the most part, I think people are desensitized to all of the extra worrying. And I think at least from what I've noticed, yeah. like just ready to get back and like hang out with friends again, like making plans rather than mm -hmm. just being like, I was just talking to our friend, Nick uh, Bugle yesterday we went out for dinner and it was like, yeah, it, it felt weird being Friday night and being like, Oh, I guess I'm not doing anything on a Friday night. And then now it's, Oh wait, it's a Friday night. I can go out and do something. Like I can plan dinner and Hey, who wants to go to breakfast or do things again, rather than just being right. Like do nothing, like treat Friday night. Like it's a, a normal day and go to sleep at the same time or whatever, <laughs> or stay up longer. Right, like your version right. of going <laughs> out is like playing video games for an extra couple hours rather than it's so weird, but it, it's dope. I'm really, I'm happy because personally speaking, like now I can experience the new city I'm in. Yeah. You know? and I'm looking at some of the stuff scenery um, behind you, just like being able to take it in and, and, and it just looks different than Chicago. Right. Which is so cool to just be a part of that in some sense. And then, I don't know, maybe it's cool to just mm -hmm. talk about some of the things you guys have done as things have opened up, just like highlight. Yeah, so it's still not all the way open. I, I guess I should start with that. It's like, it's getting there, but I think we started really feeling it around my birthday. I mean, that was before, was it? Yeah, that was before we were vaccinated, like the week before. I think it was that next week is when we got vaccinated. But my birthday was on the 17th of May and we went to an art show. I forget what, it's called Shattered Glass Art Show at the Jeffrey... 
I'm going to forget the name, Jeffrey D, Jeffrey something like exhibit. And it was curated by these guys. And it was basically like highlighting all these black and people of color artists. And it was talking about like historically in America, what it was, what their what those experiences are like, like through art. So it was really dope. Some of the best artists I've ever seen. So that was cool. But like on top of just the event itself being cool, it was like, yo, we're in a building with all these people here. <laughs> you know what I mean? This is cool. This is just dope. And after that, we went to this restaurant called The Nice Guy. Super fancy, super like just the ambiance was just amazing. It's like Drake frequents that restaurant. Oh, wow. They have a drink called the Drake Spritzer, I think it's called. I mean, I, of course I got that one, but it was good, but it was cool. But so like a lot of eating out, a lot of going to bars for the most part, because they're still, it's still not open yet. But as we're seeing like art shows popping up, like these other like film, like short films are having their premieres and stuff like that, that we're going to try to go to. And like just being able to meet new people, like in the last few weeks, we've met like a lot of people more people than we met the entire time here in the last couple weeks nice yeah so it's still we're still like waiting for it to open but like clubs are open now we're driving home last weekend and i was like yo that's a club like people are going into a club i was like you trying to go (laughs) but it's just it's just different we're starting to see the city for um instead of being like i don't know like a shallow version of itself. Yeah. It, this whole time we've been here. Like the people are coming alive again. Like, at, at least for me, it's like I get to see rush hour traffic and I'm like, oh my God. It's like nature is healing. And you're like happy to see that. Like I heard the train station that goes toward uh, Central Station and we're at Pollyanna and you hear the horn go off and you're like, oh my God, there it is. I forgot what it's like to be drowned out by the train. Oh my God. Finding peace and annoyances. <laughs> wow. I never knew I'd missed a train. Oh, it was like the annoyance part of it reminded me of the morning doves. There was a morning dove the other day. Like I walk out of my house and I hear... Let me tell you, I cannot stand those fucking birds. I can't stand them. They're like right outside of my window. Like I'm on the seventh floor, so the roof is right above me. So I think they have a nest right there. Dude, every morning at 6 a.m. on the dot, they just start... And I wake up at 6, so so it must be a little earlier. So I wake up at 6 every day, and I swear, like, 5.55, they start. And I'm like, dude, it's just five minutes, dude. Just give me five fucking... (laughs) Just give me five minutes. Oh, I can't stand them. I told Alex, I'm like, I'm going to go onto the roof and start throwing rocks. I'm not going to hit them. Like, I'm just going to scare them away. (laughs) Like, just get the hell out of here. Oh, I can't stand them. I know those birds have a special place of hatred for you. (laughs) Yeah, I just... man. I feel like they follow me everywhere. I feel like everywhere I've ever lived, they've been outside of my window. <laughs> I just not a fan. But what was not your what was your other thought about the returning to normalcy? Yeah, so you were talking about like traffic and stuff. I was like, that hasn't really changed. It's, there's always traffic here, like traffic, and unless it's a lot worse than this, it's terrifying to think about. But the traffic here is really bad, bad like, all the time. I'm just like, yo, if there's a reason that like. Yeah, if there's a reason, like, the ozone layer is, like, dying or whatever, <laughs> it's, LA is probably, like, 90% responsible because <laughs> LA is just bad. The, pu- the public transit sucks out here. It's not good. Where Chicago, you have, and New York especially, but you have a really good public transit system. It's not good out here. And uh, granted, we've never used it, but, like, apparently no one else has. So that that hasn't changed. It's anywhere we go, it takes 30 minutes. Wow. No wonder people are perpetually late. But... <laughs> 
Yeah, that's the LA thing. That's why Alex was like, "Yeah, you're good here." <laughs> like, it's not weird when you're late, and I'm like, "I know," because everyone else is. So like, I'm good. <laughs> I was meant to be here. <laughs> it's your place. Like, I was held I've, up. <laughs> I've been working my whole life to get to this point. <laughs> I'm late, but I'm here. <laughs> oh man, you're 27 years late. I guess it was an interlude for you because you were born there, and then you came back. <laughs> came back, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's dope. No, I do love it. You got to visit out here, man. Yeah, it's There's definitely a lot to see. It's definitely on the radar. Probably after you guys come back in July, I'll probably start planning that trip then. So then. We can reconvene and it'll give you know, a little bit more time because it's not completely open yet. So then just show. we can have that. But we're almost at an hour and a yeah. half yeah. already. <laughs> Every time it just flies by. Right? So I think that'll do it for this one. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the podcast. And as always... I'd love to hear from you, and I really just want to make this podcast the best podcast you listen to. Meaning, if there's anything that you really enjoyed or any feedback for us, I would love for you to reach out on the social medias. You can find Feeding Curiosity across LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram in the usual places just by searching Feeding Curiosity. You can also send us an email or a message through the website. You can also support the work that we're doing here, including the podcast and all other content that we produce at Feeding Curiosity by either going to anchor.fm slash feeding curiosity slash support, or you can head over to the website and hit the support button and support us directly there as well. By supporting the podcast, you effectively keep us from having to deal with sponsorship and keeping the relationship that me and you, the listener, have as honest and open as possible. As for me, I take the idea of selling products and or sponsoring products very, very serious. Honestly, I just want to provide access to information to as many people as possible with as little of a barrier of entry as possible. At the very least, if you want to do anything to support the podcast, leave a review on the platform of choosing to subscribe, like, rate it, all of that. It helps out a ton. Again, thank you all for listening, and I hope you join in on the next episode.